Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you all so much for having us this morning. It's just a blessing, such a blessing to be with you all. Um, If you can get a chance to meet our family, it's my wife, Nicole, down here in the front, and our four kids. And... um, She's recording this for me for a seminary class that I have to get submitted, so I'm not trying to be artificial or anything, but class is class, so got to make the professors happy. Anyway, so um, we will, I got a little bit of an echo up here. Thank you. All right, so we're going to be this morning in Genesis 35. Um, it is, it's so good to be here. Uh, you heard a little bit about me. We finished with the military after uh, finishing up a career there back in April and uh, relocated to the Lynchburg area. I've been working through seminary for, gosh, about seven or eight years now. Finally, I think in the last 12 months stretch. Um, but God's been so good to us in that and um, has allowed us to come spend time with folks like y'all. I'm, I'm so grateful to Dr. Spencer and the ministry that he does and getting us into churches and, and into your pulpits and to get to know y'all and minister with you guys. So it's just a blessing. Um, you know, I, a couple things really hit me this morning that I wasn't it wasn't in my notes, or wasn't really what was, was planning to preach about, you know, but the first one I, I just want to comment on was that song that we just finished up with, you know, and, and there were so many scriptures that came to my mind as we were singing that song. You know, if Christ is not raised, then this is all, this is ridiculous. We should go home. It really is. That's what Paul said. If, if he didn't rise from the grave, we are all just hopeless and, and foolish, but he did, and he conquered death, and he conquered the grave. You know, and as we spoke, I, I don't obviously know the family that lost a loved one, but I've been bedside when, when patients take their last breath. I've been graveside when cancer patients haven't made it, and I've cried with their families. But the truth of the gospel is that the resurrection they experience is eternal. When we come to Christ, when you come to Christ and you're born in new life, that is eternal. Even Jesus said, you know, what is it? You know, the, you know, the Lazarus and all these people, they were raised again. They were raised into life, right? But what's going to happen? They were going to die again, but we're going to be raised to life immortal. And, and that affects everything. You know, I, this, we've been talking a lot about this at home. Once again, not in my notes, but... The concept of the body of Christ is something that I'm just now starting to fully appreciate. We, talk, we grew up talking about things being thicker than blood or not thicker than blood, blood being the thick. The body of Christ around you is eternal. The brother or sister in Christ sitting next to you will be your brother and sister forever. The brother or sister bound to you in blood unless they believe in Christ, will be for this life alone. Blood goes back to the ground. Iron goes back to iron. But that's a concept that's hit me recently. The body of Christ is an eternal institution, you know, because we're raised in Christ for all eternity. That just hit me hard this morning. Um, So (laughs) I'm still in introduction with you. But the other thing I wanted to talk to you about also hit me hard this morning, and I don't usually deviate from my notes, but I just had to. You know, in saying thank you, I I want to thank... 
our mothers and fathers in this room, and I will tell you why. As we drove in this morning, it was about an hour and a half drive for us, we were listening to some music, and a song from Elevation Worship came on, and it was called, it's called Talking to Jesus. I don't know if you've heard that song, um, but my mom just came to visit us for a week, and something about that, my mom's a woman who's walked with Christ for a long time faithfully, even through years when I wasn't walking faithfully, and she prayed me through many seasons. But something about that song and having seen her as I was, the, the Holy Spirit just hammered me on the way here this morning. Nicole looked over and she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, it's okay. It's all good. But I want to thank you moms and dads, grandparents who are helping raise grandchildren. What you are sowing into your families, that may feel, it feels so thankless at times. I know, believe me. I got four. 11, 10, 9, and 7. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels thankless. But what you are sowing is, 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 a, is a harvest that will be reaped in eternity. And so thank you for your service. You know, as, as we consider the, the passage we're going to get to today, we see another family. We see Jacob. And we're going to look at his life in Genesis 35. We see... Jacob's failures, and we see God's grace. I was visiting with a brother yesterday at a church gathering, and um, he's, been, he's got about six kids into the 20s, down to, the, like, I think, eight. And um, I asked him, I said, what, his kids been walking with the Lord very faithfully. I said, what is it that you did with your kids? And his, I, I, don't know, I don't know what I was waiting for, but he said, we were real with our kids. When I, when I blew it, asked for forgiveness, and showed them what God's grace was. And so, you know, we're going to see that with Jacob today, in short. We're going to see Jacob blow it, or we're going to see God's grace. So turn with me to Genesis 35. Let's get to our passage this morning. Genesis 35, I'm going to read the first 15 verses for us here. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. And so he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be faithful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. 
Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this time together. I thank you as we open your word. I thank you that this is your word. God, every word in it is inspired through you, through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through men, you gave us your truth. We don't have to wait to hear audible sounds in the clouds. You've spoken. We have to open the book and read it, Lord. As you've given us your truth, I pray that I would rightfully open this truth and expound it today. Holy Spirit, come and speak through me. Use these feeble words for your glory to change our hearts to glorify you evermore. Lord, be with us today. Let your presence dwell richly with us, we pray. Amen. So, as we begin today, I want to take you back in time a little bit. Um, it was a hot summer day, and it was on a stage. It was something like this. Um, I was probably somewhere around here, and then to my left was my brother, followed by my cousins. Over to the right, there's a long line of girls in pretty dresses. I don't know if you're getting the pictures yet. There was an aisle down the middle, and when I looked up, it was a gorgeous woman walking down that aisle, wearing a beautiful white dress, long curly brown hair, little white flowers were in her hair. She was crying. I later found out those were tears of joy. I was worried for a second. <laughs> Roughly 13 years ago, that was the day my wife walked down the aisle and said yes to be my bride. She took on a new name, Two people became one person, and my life changed forever, for the good. We all have days in our lives that momentously change everything. We all have them. A wedding day, maybe a college graduation, whatever it might be. That day, as you think about them and whatever it is in your life, everything changed. We all have these life-defining moments. What are your life-defining moments? Think back for a second. Today, we're going to look at Jacob's life-defining moment. So there are some things I want to consider or look at before we get to the text. I believe the power of God's truth to us comes through His Word. I could pontificate on a hundred things and come up. I could have written you a sermon that said 10 ways to be a better Christian today. And I would have bounced all over the Bible and gotten you all kinds of stuff. But when we get into the Word of God and we examine the truth of God, it's what changes us. An emotional experience today doesn't change you. God changes you. And His power comes through His Word. So a couple things, like I said, I want to consider from an observation perspective. There's a lot to consider as we, as we look at the story of Jacob. So as many of you, those that have lived a few more decades than the others around you, you can attest that life events carry significant weight. Once you've lived a little while, if you go back to a point in your life where something significant happened, you might be surprised at the overwhelming sense of, of, of just awe that hits you. And it takes a little bit of life underneath your belt to have those experiences. As I think back, you know, I, you know, I think back, I played football, you know, four plays inside the one-yard line where we stopped it and everything went crazy and everyone just jumping and running and screaming. And I mentioned the sweetness of my wedding day. 
I can also think back on days where I wept bitter tears and personal failure. So not all life-defining moments are positive. But as we look to the story of Jacob, there is a significant backstory that we have to be aware of. I only have a little bit of time with you this morning, so this is the abbreviated version. If you remember, Jacob stole his brother's birthright. He took off before his brother could kill him. He went to a foreign land. On the way, he met God in a staircase dream. That's the first Bethel we just heard about. He's blessed by God. He goes off and finds this uncle Laban where he works for a long time to marry two women. He gets tricked out of one and he marries the other one. So he winds up with two wives, Rachel and Leah. Then he has to run away from Laban because he's got a mad father-in-law. He comes and finds his brother Esau who he's worried he's going to try to kill him as well. Then he wrestles with God. Then one of his daughters gets defiled in a city. And that's about where we wind up. Okay. That's, like I said, the abbreviated version. But there are a few highlights I want us to focus on specifically before we get to the actual text today. These are Jacob's God encounters. These are when Jacob met God. All right? The first one, if you want to turn with me, is Genesis 28, 13 through 15. This is the first Bethel experience. Bethel means house of God. So this is when Jacob experienced, he, he, went, uh, he was on his journey, he goes to this place, he has a dream, he sees a staircase coming down from heaven. God speaks to him. Genesis 28, 13, he reads, or he says, God says to him, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall the families of all the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Man, what a great word to hear from the Lord. Let's fast forward. Years have gone by. Jacob is now fleeing his father-in-law, right? And he's coming back to see his brother Esau, and he's worried about his brother taking his life. I'm in Genesis 32, verse 22 now. This is where Jacob meets God again and wrestles with him. Okay? I I would love to see what that looked like. But we know what happened. In Genesis 32, 22, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me, Jacob is saying. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said to you, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. A momentous day for Jacob. The changing of a name was very, very significant in Old Testament times. And this is where we see the initiation of the whole nation of Israel. We see the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham way, way back. Well, at least a couple chapters ago. Fast forward one more time. Genesis 35, where we were just reading a little while ago. Jacob has returned to Bethel. Remember I mentioned to you, ask someone here that's lived through life a little bit when they've gone back. I have some good friends that are vets, and they've gone back to the beaches of Normandy. Okay. The, the overwhelming sense of what they experienced, as they told me, was, was practically indescribable. We see Jacob go back to this place where he first met God. 
and he says, he calls this place now El Bethel. It says, and in, in, in I'm reading here in verse 10, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. I don't know if you caught that, but we even begin to see the messianic promise of Christ here in Genesis 35. As we draw, you know, I mentioned this whole El Bethel thing. What's the deal with that? I want to draw for a second from Matthew Henry's commentary. It's, a, it's actually a very significant shift. I mentioned to you Bethel means the house of God. El Bethel means the God of the house of God. You see the difference? You know, and I, I've been in places and, and, and seen things where even, in, even as Christians, we can get wrapped up around what's going on. The programs, the building projects, the whatever it is. The stuff, the trappings. But God, the sovereign God of all creation, the Almighty, is the one that's above it all, holding it all together in His hands, making it all work together. It's, it's for Him that we are here to worship. Right? And Jacob finally gets that. It's not about the, the house of God. It's about the God of the house of God. Okay, so as I consider that, as I think about that, as you think about that, I want to briefly ask you before we get into the actual text we're going to study. Yes, I'm still in my introduction. Believer, have you met with the living God? It's possible to grow up around the trappings of church and never meet Christ. You can know everything about him, but you've never experienced the life-changing power of the Messiah. I say it because I lived it. I grew up in an amazing church. And I did all the stuff. But there was a point, and I, and, I, and I even knew that I needed a Savior. But I held on to my autonomy, all that I wanted for so long, before I finally said, Lord, this is your show. I've got nothing to bring you. I grew up thinking I was so gifted and talented. I've got nothing to bring you. And you have everything to give me. Do you have a defining moment spiritually? Just consider that. Cultural Christianity is not biblical Christianity. Right? We can grow up around the culture of Christianity and never be a follower of Christ. All right? We can be around church and never be growing in Jesus. Think about, think about Judaism. How many cultural Jews are there in the United States of America that never set foot in a synagogue? Okay, for example. They don't even do the, the, the stuff anymore. But they would still say they're Jewish. You know, we can walk around saying we're Christian, and I, don't, I could know Christ no more than, in, than anybody else, and I could say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to that church over there. Blah, blah, you know. So, do you have a defining moment? When I say biblical Christianity, let me break that down one second, really quickly. Recognition of your condition. Okay? As a doctor, I would call this a diagnosis. You know, if, if someone came in and said, I'm going to amputate your leg, and your leg looked absolutely fine, I'm pretty sure you would say, I'm out of here. You've got to realize you've got a problem. Repentance usually follows 
Regeneration comes when we're made new, right? Then we walk through this long process we call sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, more like him, less like this world. Okay? So I want us to reflect. Think about it seriously. Have I been becoming more like Christ? If the answer, if your honest answer is no, I call these look in the moment minutes or moments. When you look in the mirror, look in the mirror moment. When you look in the mirror, if you're not becoming more like Jesus, it's time to check out why. It's time to pop the hood and see what's going on. We should be becoming more like Jesus as we walk in his ways, okay? Now, let's get to our text. Genesis 35, okay, I, we have to back up just a little bit into Genesis 34. I, minish, I, I, mish, I mentioned this a minute ago, and that there was this thing with Dina. Dina was the daughter of Jacob, and Jacob has come out, and he's, he's going in a, in a new direction, and something happens. He's passing through Cana. And as he's going through Cana, his daughter, his daughter with Leah, um, is defiled, right? There's a word that we use in, in modern-day language. It would be raped. I mean, that's what this is, unfortunately. By, by Shechem, the son of Hamor. And not only that, she's brought into this guy's house and not let her... She, she can't even get back to her family. As a father, I can't even imagine the temperature of the boiling blood in this family. I, I just... I can't even begin to think what's going on. This is absolutely, absolutely horrendous. As we get to the passage, though, Jacob is oddly sitting on the sidelines. We don't really hear much from him of what's going on. We see his sons step into action. Now, you can open it and read the story for yourself in chapter 34, but again, the abbreviated version is they trick the men of the city to some degree, and all the men wind up ailing from the trickery, and then they go in and slaughter them. Slaughter them all. And they take their sister back home. And so, as you think about that, I, as a father, I, I might just do something like that. I don't know. I, I might. I, I definitely I see these brothers' hearts, but again, where is Jacob? And we're going to find out where he is. Chapter 34, read verse 30 with me. We're going to see about Jacob's heart here. Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. And they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Did you hear Jacob's heart? Did you hear the me's in that passage? Trouble on me, making me stink, my numbers against me, attack me, I shall be destroyed. Who is obviously absent in this passage? It's God. This is all about Jacob. He has been cowering in cowardice. We as well, before we wag our finger at Jacob, 
can be so concerned about our reputation and our personal flourishing that we forget about God. Jacob's saying, do you know what this does to me? Anything similar ever come out of your mouth? Your kids do something. Do you know how much you embarrassed me? Just throwing shame on them. All kinds of things. An employee at work does something. Do you know how bad that made me look? Just lots of Jesus, showing them lots of Jesus, right? <laughs> so this is my first application point. If you're, writing, if you're writing this down, please write this down. Fearing man is doubting the faithfulness of God. Again, fearing man is doubting the faithfulness of God. Had Jacob been trusting in the faithfulness of God, he would have redeemed his daughter and not worried about the consequences, not worried about the attack that was coming, not worried about how he would look before the locals. All right? Jacob feared man and doubted God. We saw this with Esau, his brother Esau. We saw this with his father-in-law Laban. And now we see this with the Canaanites. Again, let's pause and look in the mirror here, right? Am I living concerned about the opinions people have about me? Think about it. What motivates you? Does every time I encounter trouble leave me asking, why, God? How is this fair, Lord? I have what has become a little bit of a newsflash for the modern church, and, and I doubt, many of you, this may not be a newsflash, I know that. But for much of the modern church, it is. God does not promise his people a life of blessing this side of eternity. Some of you may say, whoa, 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 I didn't hear that preached lately. All right, 10 steps to the better you, okay? Let's, Jesus said it, guys. Don't, don't take my word for it. John 15, 18. Turn there if you want. This is where I'm reading from. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Guys, why do we go around expecting everyone to like us? I mean, really. It's in, I mean, it's in all of us. We want to be liked, but why? When we live for Christ, he, he laid it out pretty clearly for us. Now, there is, there is a little bit of a dichotomy here. All right? I, want to, I do want to point that out. Y'all, we should, we should be light and love and joy in this world. We should be. The family of Christ, though, should be a stark contrast to the lost of this world. Right? The early church spread so rapidly, and you can go back and read Roman accounts of the early church, because they saw something different. They said, have you seen how they take care of their people? They even take care of our people. So there was a goodness about the church that made the world step back and look on with awe. Okay? 
But at the same time, y'all, those that we just read about in the words of Jesus, those that, those that God's drawing will see that. Eyes will be opened. They will see the goodness of Christ through the people of Christ. But those that walk in darkness will see Christianity as odious. They will see it as Jacob said, it will stink to them. They, want, well, they will want nothing to do with it. So we have to keep that in mind. Yes, the world should see us and see light and hope and joy, but do not be, do not be brought up or drawn up into this idea that everyone in this world is going to like you because you're a Christian. There was a day and age in this country where Christianity got you something in the community. You know, if you wanted to be in the community, you needed to be an upstanding Christian. What church do you belong to? I think you guys are all aware that that is rapidly changing in the society in which we live. It's just a matter of truth. My wife and I talk about this often. The day and age in which your children will live as adults will be different from the day and age you grew up in. Our Christianity, probably at most, has caught us a snide remark, maybe a lost friendship. It will cost them their jobs. It will cost their their ability to bring an income in at all. It could cost them their home could cost them maybe one day even their life. So consider how you're raising your children. If we do the same thing, I look at my own life like, Lord, what would I do if it was like that? And it makes me think maybe I should raise my children even better than the way that I was raised, the best of my ability by the grace of God. So as we, as we consider this relationship with the world, I do want to go back to our text. I'm going to be in chapter 35 now. I'm going to be reading verses 1 and 2. He says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. This will bring us to our next point of application, which is this. Foreign idols are festering among us. Again, foreign idols are festering among us. As Jacob and his people wandered through the world at that time, the idolatry of the world had stunk, just stuck to them like stink, you know? Um, you know what that is. You know, if, you, if you've ever been out in the woods camping for a few days and you get back to society, all of a sudden you realize whoa, I need a shower, right? You know, it just it stink, right? We, we actually ran over a skunk on the way here this morning, and we opened the windows and aired out everything. It just stuck, right? This idolatry stuck to them. It was in their midst. They had to examine themselves, purify themselves, even change their clothes at the time. You know, believer, how are you doing with this? We are not immune to idolatry at all. You know, this is, we see this throughout the entire Bible, throughout the whole Old Testament. We see idolatry creeping in again and again. We don't all of a sudden grow immunity because we come into Christ. Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a way to deal with this, but we're by no means immune to it. So what is this? What, is this? what am I talking about? Worshiping something other than God. This is very simple. 
right? We don't worship silver and gold statues. I'm pretty sure if any of you guys asked us over for lunch that we wouldn't find a little statue that was gold or silver with rubies on it in your corner. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that, okay? Now, we, we might still worship gold and silver. We keep it in the bank, all right? But usually our idols now are way more nefarious. They're, they're very self-oriented. So I always like to examine myself. We should examine ourselves. What do I use to do that? It's a passage from the New Testament. It's 1 John 2.16. You'll remember it when I talk to you about it. It brings up three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You're like, what does that have to do with idols? The lust of the flesh, worshiping our carnality. Whatever feels good. I want to go do that. The lust of the eyes, worshiping our desires. I want that i got to click my screen five times a day to go look at it. Oh, I bet I could see myself in that or driving that. Or, ooh, wouldn't that be so much better than what I've got right now? All right? Kind of ties into covetousness a little bit. The last one is the pride of life, y'all. And this one, of all of them, I've I, I preached this more lately than I ever have. It's so sneaky. The pride of life is so sneaky. It's the worship of blind ambition or self-aggrandizement, me looking good. And usually this is good things. To be, to be very honest and candid with you, for me, this was living for the praise of my patients. Man, you're an awesome doctor. Yeah, thanks, I appreciate that. You know, I, I would, ah, stop. Come on, a little bit more. No, stop, stop, stop. You're like, what's wrong with that? Well, all of a sudden I start getting home and I don't hear a lot of praise at the house. In fact, I get home and it's like, you need to deal with this and you need to deal with that and that's, that happened today and that's on you. You know, go, take, go do your father's stuff. Like, whoa, where's the praise? I got a lot of that at work, right? All of a sudden I start worshiping the work environment, right? Do you see how the pride of life, something that's, work is fine, being a great doctor is fine. Being a great whatever it is you are is fine. But when you start living for it, you begin to worship it. You've entered into the pride of life. Okay? It's sneaky. See how it's sneaky? Well, I don't, have, I don't have a fancy app or website for this. Okay? But I do have a self-assessment tool for you. All right? This is, this is an identify your idol tool. We're not going to do this by raising your hands, I promise, okay? But it's very simple. And you may have heard it before. I don't know where I got this along the way. But I want you to think. You can take notes. You can write it down. You can chart it out, pie graph it, whatever you want to do, however you do things. I want you to think about these three things. Where do you invest the following? Where do you invest the following? Your time. Where do you invest your time? Your energy. Where do you spend your, your energy? Emotional energy? Physical energy, okay? Your resources, where are they going? Finances, all these things. Where are, you, where are you investing those things? So let me break it down further for you. A few examples, whatever. Some of these may hit you, they may not. Are we pursuing God or are we pursuing self is the overall, overall idea here. Are we quicker to praise Him or to receive praise? Do we spend time alone with Him or are we always busy? Man, I wore this one. I, I tell folks, I wore busy like a badge of honor. Right? 
Walk up to someone at church. Oh, how's your week been? Busy, busy. Actually, someone's texting me right now. Hold on. I got to reply. This is really important. Hold on. I'm so busy. Are we found with the body of Christ? Are we wrapped up in our own schedules? Are we spending more time in the gym than we are on our knees? Do we share Christ in our conversations? Or do we chit-chat and then slide through social media the first chance we get? Is it about God or is it about me? These aren't necessarily fun questions, but they are pretty straightforward questions. Again, worshiping something good other than God is idolatry. Right? It doesn't have to be a bad thing. And that's where our idolatry today is tricky. As you think about the idolatry assessment, I want to go back to our text for the last time here. And I'm going to be in verse 3. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. This will bring us to our final point of application today concerning God. A real past relationship results in fearless living in the future. You understand that? If you have walked with Christ when the problems come, you're going to be okay. You know, we sang the song earlier about the mountains quaking or the earth trembling or whatever that the verse exactly was. Nicole and I have come up to some mountains in our life. And we're like, whoa, what do we do? Or like to take the biblical analogy, the, the being in the, in, the, in the boat in the middle of the storm and everything's raging, you can't see land, the boat's rocking, the wind's blowing, the lightning's flashing, you got nowhere to go. But we've known Christ. And at first there's a sense of, oh, wow, what do we do? We call on Christ and what happens? The mountains are leveled. The waves are are still, and God makes a way through the situation. Okay? This idea is an idea that I like to call valley living. Okay? We come to this Christian life, and we, you, you probably had a wonderful salvation experience. Okay? Your life changed, maybe got away with some bad habits, put things away, changed friends. It was, it was wonderful. You couldn't get enough of Jesus. You were in your Bible all the time. And all of a sudden, things got hard. Our modern Christianity does not do a great job of preparing us to deal with this theologically. It does a disservice because it mixes godly truth with worldly lies. What do I mean? Peace, joy, love, acceptance in the body of Christ. That sounds pretty gospel-centered. Yeah. It is. But then, well, if we're going to be accepting, we're going to ignore sin. We're going to just, we'll ignore that a little bit. And then, you know, God's going to bless you unconditionally and give you all kinds of prosperity. And we mix in these worldly lies with biblical truth. The truth of God's word, believer, is where we have to lie. And the truth is that you will walk through some difficult circumstances. It's just the truth. On this side of eternity, you will walk 
through difficult circumstances. But I will promise you with Christ that you will know peace, joy, love, and acceptance within the body of Christ. But if you are following Jesus, I can promise you as well, you will not be accepted by this world. Your bank account may not always be fat. And everything you may touch, it may not prosper. This isn't some modern-day Midas thing we're talking about here, where everything turns to, to gold. You know, it made me think this morning from Galatians 1, that's a different gospel. It's not the gospel that we know. It's not what's in these pages. It's a different gospel. Spoken by, what does the Bible say? Looks like angels of light. Great people up on stages, big stages, big churches. Oh, yes. But it's not the truth of God's word. Jacob gives us great truth in verse 3. I don't know if you heard it. I want to read it for you again. Let us arise, go back up to the house of God, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. When he faces this difficulty, he falls on his knees in worship to someone that he has walked through adversity with. He has been through the trial with God. And when he faces a new trial in worship, the waves stop. The mountains crumble. And he has hope again. If you want to endure the trials of this life, you must know relationship with the Father. As we come to Christ, if we are not in relationship with him, if we are culturally in Christianity and not in relationship with Jesus, you will be overwhelmed when the trials hit you. I don't want this to sound harsh. I don't want it to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm slamming you with things that aren't coming from God's word because I promise you they are. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians as we kind of move toward our close here. 2 Corinthians 4. I want to read this to you. This is Paul's admonition. You know, and it, 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 if you've heard a lot of, in, in the church, there's a time for milk and there's a time for meat, right? Now, this is meatier stuff. Right? This isn't the easy things. These are a little bit harder but they're important because we're coming to a day where things aren't so easy anymore. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to that that is unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our perspective has got to be on the eternal, not on the things that are all around us. Okay? You see, church, in life, we will be perplexed. That's the, oh, wow, what do I do? 
I remember getting a call when, our, when Sadie was a baby. They said, stop feeding her anything immediately. Bring her to the hospital right now. We have to test her. She'd been home four days. I'm rounding. I'm in the hospital. Nicole calls me. I stop everything, go down to the pediatrics, everything. Oh, this lab came back, and we think she may not be able to break down this certain thing in milk, and this could change your entire lives. And I have never felt so helpless in all my life. I really haven't. You know, I was perplexed. Fortunately, they're like, oh, no, no, that, that turned out just to be an overread on one of the labs. It's going to be just fine. I was like, really? That's what you got for me? Really? You know, my heart stopped about 10 beats. But I was perplexed. Trials will come. You will spend time in the valley. I, I, I can guarantee you. But it is where we grow in Christ. Y'all, I love the mountains. It's one of the reasons we moved out towards Lynchburg. I love the mountains. I love being on top of the mountain, up on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and looking out and just taking it all in. But y'all, we don't grow on our spiritual mountains. It's nice to be there. It's great to have the view. It's great, but we grow with Christ in the valley. It's not always easy, but it's where we grow. And every trial of life, what happens? You have to trust Christ and not trust yourself. That's what we call progressive sanctification. Becoming more like our Savior, one trial at a time. Even Jacob, who wrestled with God, who saw God and talked to God, was perplexed. I would tell you he went on even to despair. Right? Being perplexed is not sinful. Despairing, that's just not trusting God. Jacob despaired for a while. Now, as we, as we conclude, y'all, as I said earlier, it is more and more likely that this world will hate you if you love Jesus. The minute you say, there's one way, you are now an extremist. What do you mean? What about everybody else's way? I'm sorry, you take it up with Jesus. He said, I am the way. You take it up with him. I follow him and I serve him. That's what he said. All right? I, he said, I am the way. And, and we live in a society where that's considered intolerant. You're a bigot. You will become more and more odious to this world in some degree if you are following Christ. If, though, we will put away our foreign idols and we will closely walk with Christ. These words from 2 Corinthians 4 will be your testimony. This is from 2 Corinthians 4. Even when trials come, even when things get hard, even if you feel overwhelmed and you cannot make it through, this can be your testimony. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies.
So as we did some of those exercises today, as you thought about idols in your life, if you, if you identify some, if you say, no, I'm spending too much time here, y'all, it's time to toss that junk. They went and buried theirs under a tree, right? If you're worshiping work and your marriage is struggling, it's time. Get it right. It'll be worth it for all eternity. If your kids are begging for time with you and you're hung up on setting yourself up for the future, y'all, I've been there. It's not worth it. Let's put away our idols, whatever they are, and it will allow us to follow Christ and to say that I have known him and no matter what this life brings, he is good and faithful and I will be here and I will reign with him for all eternity. You know he says that you will be a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Let that blow you away for a second. Now bow your heads with me real quick. I'm not usually big on, on, on altar calls of any sort, but there is a heaviness to this truth. And if you are sitting here today and the hopelessness of the world weighs down on you and you don't know Jesus, there is only one hope for that hopelessness. There is only one way when you feel forsaken, someone is standing there saying, I love you and I want you. If you feel like you are alone and everything is closing in, there is one that loves you no matter what you have done. Now with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, if there is anyone that needs to call out on Christ today that needs Jesus, just raise your hand for me. I'm right here. Now, as I go to pray, all I'm going to do, and that's between you, me, and the Lord, come find me after, and let's pray for a minute. Uh, and we'll chat a little bit about Jesus. There's no need to stand up or do anything crazy. Just leave that with me and you and the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you so much, God, that you love us and you called us out of this world. And even when this world feels hopeless and crazy and like it's falling apart, Lord, you tell us you love us and we have to bring nothing to the table. You want us filthy, you want us broken, you want us empty. You, want, you have everything to give us. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. Be glorified today. Work in us for your glory, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.